What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. All right. Let's get started off today by going back through and giving a shout out to our newest Patreon members. So we would like to give a huge thank you to David T, Ryan J, and Zach D. Thank you, everybody, for joining us out there. We greatly appreciate the support. Now then, a few follow-ups from last week's episode where we talked about honey extracting. And there was a couple of things in there that I wanted to go back and kind of point out and mention a few little afterthoughts. And then also, we had some listener feedback with an excellent suggestion from Down Under on how to go through and actually be able to take your frames and put them back out so the bees can clean them up without necessarily having to worry about the bees reutilizing them right away. So this comes from Matthew, and Matthew says, Hey, just listening to the latest episode, and I just thought that I would share a tip. Down here in Australia, it's actually against our bee regulations to do any sort of open feeding of honey and to let the bees have access to any old, unused hive parts. So... What I do is I set my wet sticky frames back inside the hive boxes and then I put the boxes on upside down on top of the colonies. That way the bees can go in, clean up, but not necessarily restore any nectar in them due to the cells facing the wrong angle and facing downward. An old beekeeper taught me this trick. Thank you, Matthew, so much for sharing that. I actually, I thought that was a great idea. That was not something that had ever necessarily crossed my mind. Um, I usually don't leave mine on there for very long, but if you do put them upside down, it probably will irritate the bees to the point where they're not going to want to necessarily store anything in there. But yes, they absolutely are going to go through and they're going to clean that up the best that they can and get all the rest of the residue and honey and stickiness off of there. And then you can go back and take those off. The only side thought to that is going to be the fact that when you put the frames on there upside down, obviously they're going to want to fall out of the box. And so that could be a little bit of a trick. So you might want to go through and tape across um, each edge, like from one side across and over to the other, just to help hold the frames in the box when you flip it upside down. And then once it's on there, you're going to want to make sure that the frames are actually standing upright because they could have an inclination to want to tilt or lean uh, against each other since how, again, they're in that in the reverse order. But I think it is an amazing suggestion. And so I wanted to add that on here real quick so that we had that little bit of information for everybody to go through and use in addition to the things that we had already talked about. Now, also in addition to the things we had talked about, we went through and we discussed the different ways that you can remove the bees from the boxes. And in that discussion, we were talking about the overall, like you have an entire box. How do you get the bees out of the entire box without necessarily removing any frames? And I want to clarify that and point that out because obviously... If you do just have one colony and you only have one or two boxes, you've got all the time that you need. You could literally go frame by frame with your bee brush and you could gently brush the bees off of those frames, hand the frame over to your partner that's working with you, and then they can put the frame into an empty box. And we did discuss that towards the end of it, just kind of as a, an oversight little piece on 
if there's still a few, you know, spare bees or stragglers walking around inside the container. So, but you could do the entire box that way as well. You could open it up and you could smoke it lightly and then pull the frame out and brush the bees off the frame. Now, bees don't like being brushed. So I would like to point that out. They will get a little agitated and they're going to fly back to that honey as well. Also, if there's any open spots of honey on there or nectar on there, the brush will pick up that open honey and that open nectar, and then it's going to be a sticky brush, and eventually you'll end up basically coating and painting and rolling your bees instead of brushing them off there. So you've got to be very gentle when you go through and do this process. Be mindful of any little honey drips and, and any little open spaces so that you don't get everything all sticky and nasty. But that is definitely something that can be done if you only have, you know, a box or two of honey that needs to be extracted. And then there's the other little side note here. And when we were talking about removing the bees from the boxes, we also talked about going through and you could use the bee escape, you could use a uh, fume board, or you could also do the leaf blower method. Now, I do want to put a little bit of clarification onto the leaf blower method. This is something that was, I don't know if it was necessarily originated there, but it is often used in some of the major operations or, or people that have a lot of hives and don't necessarily want to have the time to go through and do it. But a leaf blower can be a very brutal attempt at doing this. And I did see a video online of someone doing this and it was, it was just chaos. Um, they were going from both directions and, you know, they were getting the leaf blower up in there fairly close. And that's not exactly, you know, I, I don't necessarily do the leaf blower to begin with. Uh, it's just, you know, it's an option that's out there. So I wanted to mention it for everybody, but it is definitely something that should come with some huge caution signs. But, you know, and, and again, as I mentioned, you take that hive box, set that up on its end so that you're looking straight through the frames as if they were a magazine in a bookcase. And you only want to blow from the bottom of the box, from the bottom of the frame. You don't want to go side to side and top the bottom. You just want to do from the bottom and you don't want to blow so closely and so hard that you're literally like beating up your bees or hurting your bees. You just want to kind of encourage them to want to leave the box and fly out the other end is really the whole point of that. And if you're doing it right, you're still probably going to end up with the same method that you end up having to do with the others where there will be a few stragglers that you'll likely have to take and brush off there. Now, again, the leaf blower is noisy. It causes a lot of chaos, it pisses the bees off, and there are going to be bees trying to attack the leaf blower, and there's going to be bees that are then just all over the place. So, is it my preferred method? Is it something that I do? No. <laughs> is it something that should be done with caution? Absolutely. Um, is it something that should be done at all? Eh, there's a big question mark there. Um, I'm not going to necessarily tell you no, but I will say that just, you know, be mindful of the bees themselves and what's going on there before you go and blast them with a leaf blower and then turn around and blow it from the other direction as well. So there's, uh, there's a lot of little ups and downs with that. So again, just wanted to go through and, and give a few little tips and a few little clarifications here and there on some things. And then in regards to anybody that has a top bar or a war a style hive, Anything that may not necessarily be able to go into a physical extractor, there are basically your, your choices on that is going to be cut comb honey or crush and strain. And I didn't really necessarily cover the crush and strain, but crush and strain can be really fun. 
And you basically, you know, you want to set up however your filtration system is going to be. Um, I do use that double bucket method that I mentioned briefly in the other episode. And that's because the solid plastic bottom on the bucket with the holes drilled in it provides a lot more support than trying to rest all the chunks of wax inside one of the straining screens or little straining pills. So I usually have that one bucket with the holes drilled in it on top. Then I have the straining pill underneath and another bucket down below that. And you just go through, take it out and just crush it and crush and crush and crush and crush. You can do it barehanded. You can put rubber gloves on. Um, a lot of times I use the kitchen gloves that are the thick rubber that come, you know, halfway up your forearm and you just squeeze every little bit of honey that you possibly can out of the comb and get it into a nice tight little ball. And then you just set the ball around the perimeter of that actual bucket and the honey will go down through those holes. The holes are going to catch any of the larger pieces and hold all that stuff up. And then your straining mesh or basket underneath is going to catch any of the finer particulates of wax. And then by the time the honey gets down into your bottom container, you'll be good to go. I've done this similar method with a very small portion before where I just had like a two gallon pitcher and I had a metal strainer setting on top of it so it would support the weight. And then I put some cheesecloth in it and I only had two or three little small combs that I needed to crush and strain. So you can do it in a smaller quantity or you can do it in the five gallon bucket version. Doesn't necessarily matter. Just depends on what you have. But crushing strain is it's very straightforward, very easy. The only thing I would advise is that be sure that there's not any bees hiding in the comb. Every once in a while, you will get a bee that will actually burrow down into a cell and will be hiding in there, and you just barely see the tip of their butt sticking out. And if you don't notice it, and you go through and you go to crush that comb, you will get stung. And it will be a shock because you were not doing anything and you're not around the bees, so you wouldn't expect to get stung, but there may be little bee butts hiding in there. So just be careful of that and uh, make sure that everything is good there. So I believe that should wrap up all of the little, let's go back and, and touch on a few points from the last episode on the main segment there. So I wanted to get all that out there. So now we will transition into today's topic, which is Hail Marys and chaos on uh, going through and doing our different inspections and whatnot out at Ken's place and uh, just kind of talk through some things there. So take it away, Mr. Ken. Your turn. <laughs> Mr. Ken. Huh? Call it Mr. Ken. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Who? Huh? What? Uh, What's going on? Uh, Max says he thinks that bunch that's in that box that moved in. He says that's that one that came from the Scratch Queen. I said, okay. He said it's about that size. I said, well... Well, if it is, we'll have to move her into a five bar or one of those, uh, or just hang on to them and pour them into one of the packages to make them bigger or something. Yeah, so you kind of started in the middle of that story. Did you see the text I sent you yesterday? I, I got another swarm. <laughs> I didn't ever actually get a text message. I got your voicemail. Oh, maybe I left I a voicemail. Okay. Max called me. Yeah. He, Max texted me. Says, "Dad, you got another swarm." Where I thought all my, oh, in that little box I put over there by, uh, on the trailer. Yep, on the trailer out there by where we we took the uh, top bar down. He says, "Yep, that's where it was." He says, "It's little." He says, "He says I'm thinking it might be the that scratch queen that come out of the uh, top bar." I thought she stayed in uh, that hive, that colony, but no, she didn't. 
and Max pulled a uh, frame of brooding eggs and uh, our eggs and larvae and put in there. So they'll have to raise a queen. Hopefully. Uh, weekend before last, I was able to make it up there and come out with you and Max to go through and do inspections on all the colonies mm -hmm. and you know we're kind of looking to see which ones would be potentially available for honey harvest and you know which ones needed something you know kind of evaluate what was or was not going on out there mm -hmm. and that specific scenario we had went through and we had looked at one of the top bars one of the original top bars and neither of the top bars did that great this this year they had some issues of they swarmed and then they never got the new queen going. One of them, you kept trying to requeen it. They kept killing the queen um, and then ultimately raised their own. She was there in the colony for a little while. She laid a pattern of brood, but then she just vanished. And we don't know what happened to her. Um, and oddly enough, as a little bit of a detour, though, that I've heard that a lot this year, both from you and Max, obviously, but from a lot of the listeners, too, where... They were like, you know, my queen is is gone. And it's not the we're coming up on the summer dearth or we're in the summer dearth now. So a lot of times the queens will stop laying, especially if they don't have a lot of food coming in. They'll quit laying. And when they do that, you know, if people aren't good at finding the queen and all they're doing is looking for eggs and larvae and capped brood and then suddenly there isn't any, they panic and they immediately think that their queen is gone and they lost their queen. But in these cases... Like specifically with that one, you know, Max had gone through it several times. He couldn't find her. When I went out there, I spent like 10 minutes going bar by bar and looking at every one of those pieces of comb. And there was only a couple hundred bees in there. So it wasn't like I had to search through thousands of bees and there was no queen. I couldn't find a queen. So that sucked. Um, but we ended up kind of coming up with a game plan. On the second top bar, there was a queen. There was literally, again, only maybe 100 bees. We're talking like the swarm cluster was the size of a baseball. <laughs> they were tiny. Um, we went in there and we opened up that hive, and it was on queen excluders, so she couldn't get out. They weren't doing anything. They didn't have any food stores. There was no brood in there. The comb was just empty. And I'm going through looking, and I'm like, oh, there's the queen. And I set that bar back in there. And then she climbs up and comes up to the edge of the bar, and I'm like, oh, there's the queen again. And I pushed her back down inside the colony, and she immediately ran up the comb and then flew out the top of the hive. And we were all like, uh-oh, there she goes. <laughs> and she circles two or three times as she spirals upward. So we were like, okay, well, she's actually circling, which means usually she's doing an orientation. We're going to leave it alone. We're going to step away and leave it open. And she will come back to the colony. And she did come back. Mm -hmm. I was standing over there. We were looking at the other hive. And I looked. And she came back and landed on the lid. And so we moved it out of the way so that she could get back down the same way she had come out back into the colony. And then we just we we left that one bar out of open out of place. Mm -hmm. And I went ahead and turned the entrance around all the way open as well. And we set the lid back on top of it, but they could still come and go. And we turned around, went and did the rest of our inspections inspections because we knew we were going to have to bring you had a couple of swarm traps that were top bar and they had good comb and a good colony going in them. So we were going to bring those and install into the original top bars to help rebolster them and, and get them up and going. And so we went off. We did all the rest of the inspections. We get those top bar nukes loaded up, the swarm traps loaded up, and we bring them back over to the big top bars. And that top bar is completely empty. 
completely empty. Not a bee in sight. And I was like, well, son of a gun, they absconded. Like when she got out of there, she came back. When she was coming back, apparently it was to tell everybody else, all right, let's go. And they left and uh, we found them. They were actually just on a tree branch, kind of a cedar tree branch right up back behind us. Mm -hmm. And so we went ahead and installed the colonies like we were going to do. And we caught that swarm and we caught her with one of the actual round feeders. (laughs) That was the only container we had we could use as as a trap. So we caught the swarm and we took it out and there was another colony that we weren't sure if it was queenless or not because it had a queen cell the last time that Max had looked at it and it was capped or had just opened one or the other. And then when I came out there and looked, there was only the tiniest remnants of a queen cup. Mm-hmm. So they had already deconstructed all those cells, but there was still no sign of a queen. We didn't see her anywhere and there was no eggs and larva. So the question on that was, is she hiding? And we're just not finding her or is she out doing her mating flight or did she leave and never come back? Like, are they actually queenless or not? So we decided as a Hail Mary to take this tiny little swarm with the scrat queen in it that had just absconded from the top bar and put them into this colony. Worst case scenario, the colony does have a queen. They're going to fight to the death. Call it good. Um, You know, but best case scenario, they will at least have a queen and we know that there's one in there. So we did this, but we did not have a queen excluder to put on the bottom. So we had no way to trap her in there and we didn't have any way to know if she would stay. We just had to cross our fingers and hope that she would. And she didn't. No, she left. (laughs) So, so what we did and Max opened it up uh, yesterday and pulled out a frame of larvae and eggs out of another hive right there beside it another colony drop that in there and we're going to either raise a queen or we're going to order a queen and but they got eggs and they won't go laying worker hopefully hopefully right we don't want any more of that so hopefully that is the case so yeah uh hopefully they'll go to either making a queen or or if we find the queen cup and we have already ordered one we'll pull it out and just put the queen in there and get them to hopefully liken her yeah so the one thing this time of year again coming up on that summer dearth you could potentially have a reduction in the drone population for some colonies Mm -hmm. and that would mean less opportunity for the queen to mate plus The hotter in the summer it gets, the more predators there are out there looking for food. So this time of year, now the robber flies are in full force. The massive dragonflies are in full force. Birds, lizards, spiders that are trying to raise young or feed their young. All of these things are out in mass quantity now. And the yellow jackets will start picking up as it gets closer to August they will start becoming a nuisance and attacking hives and trying to to steal workers and stuff as well. So all of these things start ramping up. It does make it more challenging to try to, one, raise a queen, and two, successfully get that queen mated during the summer dearth. Uh, so that is a challenge. Queen, then. Okay. Yeah, that, that is a challenge. But giving them the frame of brood and eggs and larvae, will at least, hopefully, if they haven't gone laying worker yet, prolong that urge. Yeah, because they'll have a new surge of pheromone in there, and that'll make them stay satiated for a little bit, hopefully. 
Um, but yeah, if there are queen breeders that are still breeding and you have the availability to find a queen either in your local area or ordering it somewhere and have it shipped in this time of year, um, you do run the risk of, you know, it's really hot. And if the shipping people mishandle the package, your queen could be overheated and dead. But that's the only risk that you're running. And then you get a queen that is fully mated or should be fully mated. Um, that you can put into a colony and, and hopefully will work out for you. So that may be the better bet in that regard. Um, but the other thing that you've got to start doing, and this is something that we talked about, was now is really the time when you're going to start looking and making decisions on, is this colony going to still continue raising brood? And is it going to, like, drawing wax is done at this point. So... There are a few instances where you can kind of trick the bees into still drawing out wax, but it is going to slowly taper off if it has not already tapered off and completely stopped. That's because, again, we're now in the summer dearth. It's really hot. There's no incoming food in mass quantities. They start cutting back on brood production, and you need that new young bee to be able to create the wax in the first place. And the days here pretty soon, the summer solstice will hit, the days are going to start getting shorter. Mm -hmm. And as the sun gets lower in the sky and starts setting earlier and earlier, the bees know now is not the time of expansion. Now is the time of stores and preparation. Now we've got to prepare for winter. So their whole mentality shifts and they now look at it as I have to store every drop of resource that comes in so that we can survive the winter. I can't use all of my resources to continue drawing out comb because it's an extreme expenditure on nectar and honey. So that shift happens. You're not going to get them to draw out any, no, any new comb. But if you can keep them laying brood, then you can get them bolstered up to where they're nice and strong and healthy so that going into the fall, if your area has a fall flow, they can bring in the rest of the food that they need to make it through the winter. If not, obviously you would do supplemental feeding, but um, but you know, that's one of those things. And if you're looking at a colony and it's tiny and it's weak, like that little bitty top bar mm -hmm. would not have made it. Even if we like got them started, they would never have probably gotten enough bees raised inside that colony to then be able to survive winter on their own accord. Um, if we took them out and put them into a nuke and fed them little bits at a time. So there was a tiny little increase of nectar coming in. They might've made it and been able to survive in a nuke, but they weren't going to survive in that full top bar. So you've got to start looking at colonies and start making notes and start making decisions. Is this a colony that is worth saving? Can I save it or should it be combined? And you're going to do that twice. You can do that now in the dearth and you can do that again in the fall right before winter. And those are the kind of the two milestones where you look at those colonies and you say, should it be combined or can it survive on its own? If you think it has a chance and you want to see, then you go ahead and you nurse it along and you feed it through the summer dearth. And then as you get up into October, then you make that ultimate decision at the end. Did they rebound enough and rebuild enough that they can legitimately become a colony on their own that can survive the winter or did they not? And if they still didn't, then they need to be ultimately combined with another colony that is also potentially struggling so you have one colony that is big enough to make it through the winter instead of two little ones that could both potentially die. You kind of take your hits in advance on that. I just thought of something. I have, you know, the 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 packages I have with, uh, I have some Russian queens, I have Carniolan queens, 
I'm wondering now, I need to go through those and see if I have one small enough that I could take that queen out and mix another, mix it with another package and then to use that queen and that, uh, I could just put her in a queen uh, box or package, tape it over, put a little piece of, uh, put a little piece of uh, marshmallow in there, put a piece of the, the, painter's tape slice it and then set it in there and let them eat eat it eat her out where she could get out and that might be an easy way and i could do that today or tomorrow did i get you confused or you under did you follow me no i followed i don't know if everybody else did but i followed you um so yes you could do that um you would want to make sure like if it's a mated queen and she's laying and she's doing good, but the colony is just a little bit smaller mm-hmm. and you've got another colony that is also laying and doing good um, and you can merge those two together, then yes, you could take that queen and do exactly as you said, put her into the queen cage. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the marshmallow technique. I would rather actually have queen candy in there, but you can use the marshmallow, put it in there and then put her over into the colony that is queenless and go through and see if they will accept her because then you're going ahead and you're combining that one colony, giving it double the resources and double the bees that it had. And you're also then going through and putting that new queen in to the colony that is queenless that could use the help. Now, one little pointer, Mm -hmm. if you combine those two smaller colonies, you can either do the newspaper method Mm -hmm. where you put the paper over it, cut a couple of tiny little slits in it, and then let them integrate themselves. Or you can do the alternating every other comb. And if you do that, then basically smoke both of them. And then, you know, and, and almost a little bit prolifically, not not the little smoke, but smoke it to where it's kind of foggy in there. And then you go one comb from the original hive, one comb from the other hive, one comb from the original, then the other, then the original, then the other, then the original, then the other. And you alternate them. Make sure to still keep all the brood together and all the food together but you want to do every other comb in that sequence. Um, now, if one of them only has three comb of brood and the other one has six comb of brood, it might be harder to get that exact match. Um, and so you may still end up with two frames side by side that were from the original colony. But by doing that, you've mixed all the bees up. You've mixed all the smells up. You've mixed all the comb up. Every other comb has a completely different smell and, and pheromone signature to it. That will make it more likely for them to accept each other because of the chaos and the confusion that's going on inside there. Um, And then, again, on the other one, you know, you put her in there and then watch and make sure they're accepting her and they're not, you know, they're actually feeding her and stuff through the screen and they're not grabbing a hold of it and trying to to get in there and kill her. And then eventually she can be released and then take over that other colony and hopefully get it up and going. Mm -hmm. The only downside, though, is if it is a tiny swarm, it could also potentially be a virgin queen that was leading that swarm. And then you don't necessarily know how well was she made it, right? Mm-hmm. So you you could end up with a queen that ends up being the same scenario as what happened potentially on that one top bar where they finally raised their own queen. She went off and mated, came back, and she was laying, and then she was gone, she wouldn't have left the hive again. So that means she either died from some disease or some issue or they killed her. And if they killed her 
and then they did it and there wasn't any eggs, then that was their bad because then there's no way to raise a new queen. Usually they'll start the supersedure cell before they ever get rid of the original queen. So they're usually a little bit more intelligent than that, um, but not always. So something, though, occurred to cause them to lose her. Um, and that's, you know, it's kind of it's kind of tricky to know really what happened in that. But you don't want to end up in that same scenario. So that's why I said if she's doing really good and laying a good pattern, then yes, you could potentially move her over to the other hive. Mm-hmm. But if she's kind of looking shoddy to begin with, and that's one of the reasons why you're going to combine it, then giving that queen to the other hive is going to give them a very shoddy queen that may or may not help them survive. They may continue to spiral. So it all just depends on the quality of that. Okay. Well, now my, let me ask you something. On If you see sugar ants going in and out of a hive or a colony, do what do we need to do? Just not worry about it? They're just going to clean the bottom board up or what? Well, you'd actually have to look inside the colony and see what they're doing. If they're on the frames and they're messing with the frames, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. If they're not in the hive, but they're just on the, the not even the bottom board, but if you've got a screened bottom with another thing underneath it, the tray, mm-hmm. if they're just down there in the tray cleaning stuff up, or you even, even if you see hive beetles hiding down there in the tray, or you see a wax moth hiding down there in the tray, that's fine because that's separated from the colony by a screen. And they're just cleaning up this debris that is unguarded. Mm -hmm. Now, if the sugar ants are going inside and they're just climbing up the corner all the way up to the feeder box and they're going up there and stealing sugar from the feeder box. But again, they're not touching the comb. Then it's not it's not an issue either. But you've got to figure out what the ants are doing, because a lot of times I'll see them crawl up and and go literally up the inside corner Mm -hmm. all the way up to the feeder box on the inside of the hive. Okay. And then they get up in there and they distill the sugar syrup and or their crystallated sugar. So if that's the case, no harm, no foul. They're not actually hurting the, the colony. But if they're in there stealing nectar or even eating brood or anything like that from the hive, that's a problem. And that absolutely needs to be dealt with. Okay. Okay. We can do that. Okay. I'll check it all out. So, uh, but some of these you know i've got one small feral colony we checked it and you said that when we pulled it out the other day it had one full side of a deep frame full of brood and i don't know i'm going to check bees tomorrow and feed get back to feeding and opening up the top bars and yeah just getting everything ready to go yeah the uh i was trying to think on the top bars after we put everybody in there they may not necessarily need opened um i don't recall that they had like a lot of capped food stores so they may need fed i put a quart in there monday yeah monday okay a week ago so i'm gonna put another quart in probably tomorrow yeah see Check it and see what they've taken, if they've taken it all or not. Yep. So it'll, you know, <laughs> it's it's just like you said with the guy with PTSD, the uh, heroes, have for heroes, always something to do with them. Yeah, there is definitely. Um, and, you know, everybody on, on here actually got a double dose because they got the full interview 
with Steve Jimenez from Hives for Heroes on the main segment. And then for the bonus segment last week, everybody actually got the additional conversation because when the when the the camera stopped recording on the Zoom, it really didn't stop recording. When the show was done for the main segment, Steve and I continued to talk and we continued to talk about Hives for Heroes and things like that. And so there was an additional like 34 minutes and that got switched around and put out there for everybody for the bonus episode last week. So hopefully everyone enjoyed that. But again, we we did get a lot of positive feedback from that. And that's awesome. I hope that it you know does well and makes a difference for everybody out there for sure. It is uh, really sad that it's a um, situation that is it's its own kind of epidemic in itself where you've got this systemic problem of stress and trauma that happens but the other half of it is we don't either from our own mental standpoint and our own pride don't go and seek the help that we need or when we do seek the help the help that we get is subpar especially the help that is provided by a lot of those organizations directly a lot of times you have to step outside of those organizations to be able to find quality help that is truly going to get you you know, the, the relief that you need from, from the stress and the anxiety and and the other stuff. So, and if beekeeping can do that for people, then absolutely go out there and do it. That is, uh, that's one of the beauties of it. Really. I don't really have anything else down here on my notes. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Nope. I'm good. Whenever you're ready. Okay. All right. Well, this is a has been a little bit of a shorter bonus episode for everybody. I do apologize for that, but hopefully you found some worthwhile information in there for you. We'll uh, we'll be back on Thursday with another bonus episode for everyone out there as well. And we've got for those of you who are subscribed to the Wicked Little B tier, um, there is a bonus episode or not a bonus episode. There's a deeper dive episode out there called all about honey. So if you enjoyed this main segment episode this week and you want to learn more and you have not already went and listened to that, go out there and take a listen. And then there is also another deeper dive episode that is on the way that will be about marketing your honey and selling your honey and kind of how to build your business um, from a marketing perspective and some of the things to do from that. So that'll be on the way as well. So plenty of honey talk down the road for everyone. Um, But until then, honey talk. (laughs) Hey, honey. Um, um, But anyhow, everybody out there, be good, be safe, and uh, we'll talk with you next week. And we'll catch you later, family. Y'all be good and be safe. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.